Hello and welcome to Jetvanaram Buddhist Monastery. So we meet again to take another step forward on our journey together, on our quest to discover the Buddha's guide to happiness. Unconditional happiness, happiness that cannot be taken away from us, happiness that is not dependent on external factors, happiness that is truly ours to keep. This is our objective. This is our goal. This is our ambition. On that journey, before we proceed, as individuals who are always grateful to those who have taken efforts to help us get we are, where we are today, to help us go forwards on this journey, and achieve that ultimate bliss. Let us take a moment to remind ourselves that it is thanks to the perfect one, the most magnificent one, the fully awakened one, the enlightened one, that is none other than the Supreme Buddha, who we have to thank as our teacher who discovered, not invented, let's get that straight, this is not his invention, this is his discovery. Other Buddhas before him discovered the same. Buddhas after him will discover the same. The only issue here is, it is only a Supreme Buddha who discovers this by himself. So everyone else, like you and I, are dependent, are reliant on Supreme Buddhas to discover for themselves and then teach it to us so that we can then follow their footsteps on the same journey, on exactly the same journey that they took once to achieving that supreme enlightenment. There is of course one other type of Buddha you may have heard called the silent Buddhas. They discover it by themselves as well. However, they are somewhat different in that they are unable to teach this doctrine. There are very good reasons for this, which we may discuss another time, another day, but today we have more interesting things to talk about, such as why do we suffer? Where's wanting in all of this? What's this vexation all about? What can we do about it? And if this is all based on causes, what are those causes and what can we do to free ourselves? Without further ado then, let us take a moment to pay homage to our teacher, the Supreme Buddha, and begin, continue even, our journey. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa We know that we suffer in life. Suffering comes to us in many ways. Suffering is all too familiar 
to those of us who have gone through life, been through life, we've lived to tell the tale, haven't we? In our 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years of our existence on this earth, we have many a tale to relate as to events that made us suffer, things that didn't quite go to plan, things that stole the smile on our faces, things that made us disappointed, things that turned a bright, beautiful, lovely day into a sad, disappointing, miserable one. All this time, we have always pointed our finger outwards, trying to find explanations as to what were these factors that changed, that shifted, that completely flicked our mental state from that of happiness to that of sorrow, to that of grief, to that of despair. We've always looked for answers outside. We were looking for other people to attribute our sufferings to. It is what they have done or what they have not done. It is what they have said or what they have not said. It is the things that have happened or the things that have not happened. It is what we got or the things that we didn't get. Through this lens, we always try to explain our suffering. You know this is true. We've always failed though, haven't we? Because if we were right on every occasion when we thought that we were right, for instance, when you thought that it was someone who did something who, or who cut across you as you were driving up the road, it is he or she that made you unhappy, then you thought, well, I should set him straight and you gave a piece of your mind, tore him a new page, set him right. Did that do anything to fix your miserable state of mind? Temporarily, it might have made you feel that you have won the battle, but in the long run, you always lost the war. It means nothing if you keep losing battles, or rather even winning battles, but if you keep losing the war, at the end of the day, you're a loser. So now we know that it is pointless and it is fruitless to explain our suffering by looking outside, outside of our, our own world, outside of our, ourselves. We know now that it is time we look inwards, introspectively, trying to find answers on the inside. Countless times we've done the looking outside and it never worked. So, we know why that is now as well, because now we know that it is wanting that is the root of suffering. For as long as you want something, you will always be in either fear, or grief. It matters not whether you have what you want or you don't have what you want 
Either way, if you want it, you're suffering. You know this is right now, don't you? If you want something and you don't have it, well, that's obvious. That's grief, isn't it? Oh, how I wish I could get what I want. Oh, how I wish I had what he does. It's fine. It's a fine thing. It's a lovely thing. It's a wonderful. It's an interesting thing. Oh, how I wish I had the same grief. Oh, how I wish. And then you work hard to get it, to earn it, to acquire it, to borrow it, sometimes to even steal it. And after you've done that, then that problem seems to be solved. But closing one door in this world of suffering simply opens another. You've only shifted from grief to fear. I'm just reminding stuff we've already talked about. Because this is the really important and interesting stuff. Because this is what applies in our day-to-day -day existence. This is how we need to understand this. The theoretical stuff is all nice, good and well to discuss, debate, put on the balance and make sure that it all checks out. That's all nice and well. But at the end of the day, it is what we experience in our day-to-day -day existence that is truly true for us. So it is these things that we need to make sure we have grasped properly. So shifting away from grief only puts us back into fear. Because when you have something you want, now you immediately become a caretaker, a security guard. No. Are you not a security guard? Isn't that the first job that you got? I've heard some people say that the oldest profession in existence is prostitution. But truth be told, there was actually one that preceded that. That was the job of a security guard. You know this so truly well because you're all doing it right now. You might think you're a doctor, you're an engineer, a lawyer, a mathematician, a rocket scientist, a brain surgeon. But at the end of the day, you're also a security guard. It is the first job that you got. From the moment you began to understand that you had things that belonged to you, at whatever age that might have been, could have been as young as two years of age, from whatever day, from whatever time, you began to realize that there are things that belong to you, you immediately became a security guard. Have you not seen little infants, young kids, children cry out loud, scream, roll on the floor? Because someone's taken something that they think belongs to them. That's the important word there. Did you catch that? That they think belongs to them? You know so well that actually it's not, it's not theirs, it's yours. You've seen little kids like this. Might be something so simple. I can recall a, a personal experience once. In my late time, and this, I think you'll find it funny and interesting at the same time, so I'll take the liberty of sharing it with you. In my lay life, there was once when I went to see a friend. So this friend 
they had a young child and I think he was about seven or eight years of age. So my then wife and I, we went shopping to buy something nice for this kid. And if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me right, I think we got him a toy car. Nicely boxed, gift wrapped and all that. So we took it and we went over. So after exchanging a few niceties, along comes this little kid. And, you know, we say hello and get to know the little guy. And then we give him this gift. So what's this gift? It's a toy car. Who wouldn't want one, right? Especially a young boy of his age. So we give the toy car and what does the kid do? He takes it away, sits on the floor and starts unwrapping it as you do. What do you expect? We were waiting for, we were waiting to see this young child unwrap this gift, open the box, take the car out and start playing with it. Because we obviously like to see this kid happy. So this is why we made this gift to him. But what came next, none of us ex expected. Not us, not the kid's parents. As the kid unwraps this gift, he realizes that the wrapping paper is stuck together with something called cellotape. So he discovers cellotape for the first time in his life. He finds this really interesting because it's sticky. He's never seen something like that before. First experience, cellotape. So the kid unwraps a few layers of this wrapping paper and he starts removing the cellotape one piece at a time and then he realizes that he, can, he cannot get it off his fingers. Now he finds that really interesting. Looking at the kid's face, we knew at once that was the gift we should have got him. A roll of cellotape. So, half an hour into us having given the kid this toy, the toy is still in its box. The kid's playing with cellotape. So he's sticking it in his, on his fingers and then moving it around, sticking it on, in, on his nose, on his, on his forehead. He's so happy, so delighted, ecstatic. I think is the word I would use to explain this kid and how he was enjoying this bit of sellotape. Half an hour into this and he was still playing with the sellotape. So of course my wife and I we were looking at each other in the face and the parent of course was quite upset because they knew what we wanted. You know, we wanted something as well. That's why we got the toy for the kid, because we wanted to see it play with the toy. And that would have made us very happy. So the kid's mother knows this, and she's now talking to the kid and bringing the toy around and saying, Hey, little one, play with this. Look at this. Look at this. There's a toy here for you. Open this box. There's a nice car in there for you. And is the kid interested? 
Oh no, he wouldn't have it. It's not what he wanted. He'd already found his place. He found his toy. He found what he wanted. This was what was exciting for him, not the toy. At this point, after several attempts, the mother becomes frustrated because this is not what she wants. So you can see, you know, now taking a step back, there are lots of people in this gathering and lots of interests working here. Several minds wanting different things. My wife and I, because we got the kid the toy, we want the kid to play with the toy that we got for it because we think that's what's going to make him happy. So there's us with that wanting. Whereas the mother, she doesn't want to disappoint us, her friends, and she wants us to be happy. So as she wants us to be happy, what does she do? She's trying to get the kid to put the sellotape to a side and play with the toy. She's not interested in the toy. In fact, she's probably not as interested in seeing her kid happy as she was in making sure that we, her visitors, her guests, were happy. So she's got another set of wants. And then the kid, indifferent to what anyone else in the room was feeling, in his own world he was. He was just a sellotape and him. That's it. Everything in the world had disappeared. So at one point, the mother getting frustrated, takes this bit of sellotape away from the child. Do you want to guess what happened next? Anyone who's had children will know what happened next. <laughs> it was a disaster. She completely ruined his mood. He was in tatters. He started screaming, crying his eyes out, protesting because someone had, or his mother had taken the one thing that he so wanted, his precious. That was what was precious to him at that time. And the mother was not interested in returning the sellotape back to him because that's not what she wanted. She wanted to be assured that the kid was going to be playing with the toy because that was what was going to make us happy, her guests. Not that she was unkind to the child, but you know, you can understand. She wanted to be hospitable. She wanted us to be happy. She wanted us to feel that we had got the right present or the right gift for the kid. Because, you know, when you get someone a gift, you're never sure if it's the right thing. Especially with a kid. So she wanted to be assured that we were happy and she was failing miserably. Because not only was she not able to do that, but now she had some disappointed guests as well as a really annoyed kid. 
And then the kid was completely throwing a hissy fit. He was not having it. So, after a while, she returned the sellotape because, you know, we told her, it's fine, you know, just, just let him have it, it's fine, you know, it's all right, we, it's fine, you know, it's what's kid, you know, it's what kids are like, just let him have it, it's fine, you know, don't think anything of it, we won't. So we assured her that it was all right. And so she returned this. Now you see, when we bought this gift for the kid, the toy car, it would have probably cost us a few hundred or maybe a thousand rupees back then. And the bit of sellotape actually came free because all we had to do was ask for it to be gift wrapped. And the shopkeeper would probably have gift wrapped it for, you know, just a few bucks. Nothing more. A nominal fee compared to what we had spent on the gift. So, in comparison, a bit of sellotape, not even two inches long, it's not even the entire roll, this is just a bit of sellotape. And then you have a toy car, remote and batteries and the, 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 whole, the full works. This is the best thing we could get from the toy shop. Now, which one is more precious? Which one is more valuable? Which one is supposed to bring more happiness? How do you answer this question? We expected one thing, but what we got was something entirely different. This went on to prove to me much later in life, when I began to listen to the Dhamma and to pay attention to what my teachers had to say and to understand why it is that the mind works in this in this way, that value is not something that is intrinsic. It is not something that is a component of a product or an item or an object. It is not inbuilt value. Value is simply what we attribute to it. it just depends on how badly you What's the word? How badly you want it. How much do you value something? It depends, doesn't it? It depends on what age you are. It depends on what, on where you are. It depends on what kind of mood you're in. So many things will determine what or how much you value something and how you value things in comparison to others. So could you say that something is so valuable and give it a fixed value? Now, you know, with commodities that we have come to use in this day and age, we know that prices fluctuate from time to time whether it's the price of gas or fuel for some in other parts of the world, food, gold, precious metals in general, whatever, stocks and shares, 
a dollar? These things fluctuate in value. I mean, the stock market is all about that, isn't it? They fluctuate. So the fact that they fluctuate mean that their value is not intrinsic. So it is not a part of the product itself. It's not part of that toy car. The shopkeeper told us it was, let's say, now I'm sure that this is probably not the right price, but because I simply can't remember, it was such a long time ago. Let's say it was 5,000 rupees, which would be about 25 Great British pounds in today's day and age. Just to give you an idea. Okay? So 5,000 rupees. And when we asked the shopkeeper how much it was, he said it was 5,000 rupees. So we handed him 5,000 or 5,000 rupee notes and he gave us this toy car. Now imagine if the kid went into the shop, right? And there was a toy car and then there was the cello tape roll. What do you think the kid would have paid the higher price for? The toy car? Of the sellotape. To him, the toy car didn't mean much. It wasn't of that much value. It was a sellotape that he found interesting, that he found exciting, that he found was a play toy. So which one is of greater value? The sellotape? Or the toy car. Now, as the moment I ask this question of you, an, an answer will immediately come to your mind. You'll say, it's a toy car, surely, because a toy car has a lot more stuff in it. It's got plastic, it's got wires, it's got, it's got, it's got circuitry in it, it's got bulbs, it's got switches and wheels and all sorts of lovely and fanciful things that make it lovely. And it, it makes it move when you move the controls on the remote. It's got the batteries and all that. So surely that must be the thing that is of more value. But just because something's more in amount or quantity, does that make it more valuable? Okay, in which case, I give you five kilos or say ten kilos of soil, just ordinary soil, and five grams or ten grams of gold. Which one's more valuable? You got 10 grams on one side and 10 kilos on the other. Does quantity have anything to do with what is more valuable? What about size? The bigger it is, the more valuable it is, is it? 10 grams of gold, 10 kilos of soil. Which one's more valuable? So quantity, size, don't seem to have any relevance when you're comparing different things to value, does it? Is it the market value? Ask the kid. You tell the kid, kid, this car, do you know how much we paid for it? Do you have any idea how many hours I had to work just to get you this? And this cello tape, they gave it to us for free. And you find this more interesting than that? We should have asked you before we got the present. 
wouldn't have got as an arm and a leg. The kid's going to say, sell up tape any day. So you see, different things, different people find valuable. What this means is value is not intrinsic. Now, why am I sharing this with you? It's because we spend a lot of time in our lives, in our time in existence, pursuing things that we believe are valuable, don't we? If you think that, let's say, a car, the latest model, is valuable, you might spend a great deal of time, maybe several months, several years, maybe doing overnight shifts, extra weekends, saving up, working really hard to buy it, to own it, because you think that's valuable. Perhaps if you think that buying yourself a house in some place in an urban area, maybe in the middle of town, where the price of real estate is really high, is a really worthwhile investment or a good purchase, then you might spend a lot of time. You might spend a lot of time running to banks and pleading to them to give you a loan, a mortgage, to buy that property. Simply because you think that it's valuable. So now I know you'll be asking me the question, well, Bhante, is it not valuable? Are you telling me that it's not? Are you telling me that two or five grams of gold is the same value as five kilos of soil? Is that what you're telling me? No, that's not what I'm telling you. I'm not saying that they're of the same value. What I'm saying is value is subjective. It is not objective. How much something costs? Simply put, how many dollars someone will expect from you to hand them or hand over the ownership of that item, that product to you, depends on how much they value it. This is a personal assessment. People have collectibles. Think about stuff that people collect. Sometimes old coins, furniture, art, items of clothing. People will give them value. But if you take out the subjective element and compare the two things on their own merit, you'll find that perhaps most, uh, most of the time the newer object is more valuable than the old object. But because people have a sentimental value to things, in fact, value is almost always sentimental, now, of course, there are some things that are valuable because they're more scarce. And this is one of the reasons why precious metals are more valuable. And from time to time, fuel, 
can be more valuable. Why? Because when there is less of it to go around, then it becomes more valuable. But then again, that's because people want it. What if something there's less of, but people don't want it either? Who cares? What if no one cared? What if it wasn't interesting or important to anyone? Now does it matter how scarce something is? No, it doesn't. Then it does not have the same value. So then we must understand that value is not something that is intrinsic. It is not part, it is not a component, it is not a constituent element of the object itself. But again, why am I sharing this with you? It's for the same reason I, shared, I explained to you earlier. We do spend a great deal of our life chasing after things that we have attributed values simply because we believe that it is that valuable. Not maybe because it truly is. So we attribute value to something and then that determines how hard we fight, how much we strive to get it, to go after it. The truth of the matter is though, we know that we all have an inevitable end. We've talked about this before. And when the inevitable end comes, all these things that we thought were valuable come to absolutely no value. Null and void. True or not? No matter how much you believe that A three-story house with a swimming pool and a tennis court and, an, and its own gym in downtown LA may be the most valuable thing that you could buy for money. That's where you have, want to have your crib. Right? No matter how much you believe in that, when it comes to your last moment, none of that is valuable. Why? For one reason. Because you ain't going to be using it after that. It is of absolutely no value to after that. Because you don't want it after that. You know you don't want it. You're not going to be able to use it. And when that time comes, what becomes more valuable is if you could buy more time. Isn't it? What if you could buy more time? And in those times you will be prepared to give up anything and everything you own to get a few more days, a few more hours, a few more minutes, maybe a couple more minutes with your loved ones. Then they become the most valuable things. Why? Because you still want them and you want to be around them. See, the unfortunate truth is you can spend all the time in the world you can spend all the time you have to earn all the wealth that you could possibly earn. Yes? You've got to admit that. 20, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of your life, some people may spend earning money, things that they believe are precious, 
not truly precious, but things that they believe are precious. They can spend an entire lifetime earning those things. But the unfortunate truth is, you could spend a hundred years earning a million dollars. However, you cannot spend a million dollars and get back those hundred years. I'm sure you'll have heard the saying, time is money. It's an age-old adage. People say time is money, don't they? If two things are one and the same, you should be able to give one and get the other. Yes or no? If two things are one and the same, you should be able to give one and get the other. Matters not which one it is. If time is money, when you give time, you get money, all right, I buy that. But give money and try buying time. So, is time money? Are they one and the same? People want money so that they can get the things that they believe are precious. And please do remember that we didn't come into this world with all these ideas of what things are precious. They're all ideas that were implanted into our minds by the people that we associated. The magazines, the brochures that we read, the newspapers, the articles, the adverts that we saw, the TV channels that we watched and what the people on, in, on that TV or in those programs told us. It's the billboards that influenced your idea about what was precious, what was valuable. How much something is valuable today for you depends on how you were influenced. That's why different things are valuable to different people. What would you like to do on a weekend? For some people, you want a vacation, others want a staycation. Why? Different things are valuable to different people. If you won the lottery, what would you want to do with all that money? Some people, they want to donate all of it to good causes. Others want to go on a holiday around the world. Others want to buy a house. Others want to start a business. Other people want to buy a smart car. Why? None of us came into this world with those ideas pre-programmed. They were all implanted in our minds one at a time. Because the fact that things are valuable were fed into our minds by the people that we associate. I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a terrible thing. I'm just saying this is what happened. This is simply, as a matter of fact, I'm telling you what happened. The problem though that I must 
draw your attention to is once you believe that something is valuable and particularly if you believe that this value is something intrinsic, it is part of that object. Now the moment you accept that, your mind will then be attached to it. I left you last week, if I am not mistaken, with the question, well, what is it? What is the cause of attachment? Right? Because we know by now that once the mind is attached to something, which we understand now is a function of the mind, attachment, the mind goes into this experience or this feeling of vexation, wanting. And then the mind will not stop until it gets what, what, it, want, what it wants. But does that solve the problem? Because as long as, for as long as the mind wants something, you are back into trouble. Why? When you don't have it, you're in grief. When you have it, you're in fear. Where's peace? Where's happiness? But today people live and go through life thinking to themselves that if I only got what I want, I could be happy forever. People believe that the happiest people are people who have everything they want. <laughs> really? You sure about that? Someone who has everything he wants is a happy person? Someone who has everything he wants is the ultimate security guard. Why? Because now he has to take care of everything he wants. Because he's got them. And what is true about everything that you want? There's always going to be someone else who also wants it. And therefore, you become automatically a security guard. This is your job. Becomes, you inherit that job. With everything that you, you, you acquire, that you want, you automatically become a security guard. Take a really simple example. You see a wristwatch. Now you decide you want it. You go and spend top dollar and you buy it. Now it goes on your wrist. Now you're a happy man, aren't you? Why? Because you got that wristwatch that you always wanted. Out of grief and into... Yeah, let me hear that again. Out of grief and into... No? Sure. What about when you're walking down the street? It's a busy marketplace. People are everywhere, running here, there, everywhere. You really want this watch. You really like this watch. You value it. And it's on your wrist. Every few minutes, you'll stop to check that you've got your watch on you. Imagine you're on a bus and you fall asleep. Oh dear. <laughs> right? You know where this is going. You fall asleep and you wake up. If the most precious thing that you have on you is your wristwatch, where's the first place you're going to check? What's the first thing you're going to check? 
Maybe you're going somewhere with your other, your better half. She sat next to you, you got your wristwatch on, but the most precious thing to you is your wristwatch. The moment you wake up, I have a fine guess that the first thing you're going to check is whether you have your wristwatch on. And if it's there, you'll go, oh yeah, she's here as well. Thank God for that. I'm just kidding. But is this not true? When you got your smartphone on you, and you're on a crowded bus or a train, or on a crowded street, Can you be at rest? Can you be happy? What did you buy that wristwatch for? To be what? To be happy, right? What have you gotten for yourself? A watch and then some. No. A watch and then some. What happened when you bought your car? Before you got the car, you were in grief. Why? Everyone else has this. Oh, it's the latest model and everyone's buying it. I better buy it soon before it becomes the old model. So you worked hard, you got yourself the money, you got a loan, credit card, whatever. You, go, you went and got the car. Now you have the car. Now, wherever you park, wherever you drive, if it's a nefarious part of the town, and you know carjackers are around, Thieves. Now you got to be careful where you park. You got to be careful where you drive. You see some rowdy teenagers approaching. They've got some sh sharp objects in their hands. You stop breathing, right? You start sweating. Why? You've got this brand new car. And now you've got to do what to it? You've got to protect it. Before you got the car, the car dealer, he protected it. You protected your money. Now you just swapped. You take the money and protect the money, I'll keep the car and I'll protect the car. This was the agreement, wasn't it? The unwritten agreement. So at the end of the day, folks, right? What we only do, what we really do, is we simply change We swap with each other the things that we protect. Isn't, this what, isn't that what trade is all about? I've got a car that I am the protector of. You've got some dollars that you are the protector of. Let's trade. What does that really mean? I want to start, I'm fed up of protecting this car. You know, enough. I want to protect something else. How about I protect your money or that money, you protect the car. Yeah, sure, why not? Here's the car, give me your money. What's happened? You've simply become a protector of something else. I, you know, I'm, I'm not mocking or I'm not, I'm not ridiculing anyone or you know what people do to live and get through life. All I'm saying, folks, is let's open our eyes and try and understand what's really going on with our lives. You know, we seem to be doing this to ourselves, but just like, you know, sleepwalking. We don't realize we are doing it to ourselves. We think that having spent that money and bought the car, now, happy days.
Look at the life I've got. I've got myself a new motor. I've got some, myself some new wheels, right, you say? But what have you also gotten yourself? A new job. What, driver? No, and then some. What's that? A protector. You just signed the paperwork for you, Mr. So-and-so, is now the protector of this motor vehicle. And the car dealer signed the paperwork to say, I, Mr. So-and-so, and the protector of this money from now on. Because he cannot always keep an eye on it, he'll keep it in the bank, and because you can't always keep an eye on it, you'll keep it in the garage, protecting it. You'll sleep at night, and the car alarm goes off. <laughs> Are you going to tell me that you'll just continue sleeping so peacefully? Ah, that will switch off after a while. You also hear some noise on the gate and you suspect someone's probably come into the garden. Now that probably sounds like the garage door. That's ah, fine. Now I'm not going to get out of bed for any reason. No one disturbs my slumber. You going to be like that? How many times tell me folks? This is a rhetoric question but I would like for you to answer it yourself. How many times have you had to wake up, leaving the comfort of your bed and the sweet dream that you were in? How many times have you had to wake up from your sleep, half dressed in your pyjamas, picking up your trousers along the way, go downstairs if you live in a double-story house, or at least walk up to the garage get yourself a torch, look out and go, who's there? Who's come to take my car? How dare you, because I am the protector of this car. Because the moment you said, I am the owner, you also said, I am the protector of this car over my dead body. I once also had a car. I know what that feels like. Today, I am a free man. Today, I have no car to my name. I don't have a penny to my name. I don't have a house to my name. I don't have a wristwatch. What is mine are only three items. I have my upper robe, I have my inner robes, and I have my arms bowl. This is the, these are the only things that belong to me. Anyone want to come and take that from me? Tell me, you live a happier life than I do. Once again, I'm not suggest I'm not mocking or teasing or anything like that. I'm just saying we all came into this world to live a happy life. We were tricked. We were taken for a fool. 
the people that we associated put into our minds that to be happy you must acquire all these valuable things things that are of value houses cars land cattle jewelry furniture technology hmm? beautiful carpets upholstery lovely fine curtains a lovely garden a wife a girlfriend a boyfriend all these things things or people however you want to call them a business whatever because those are things that are of value to become a rich man they said you have to own things that are of value we became materially rich but we became very poor happy poor materially rich and happy poor what did we come into this world for to become rich right why were we born why 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 we did we become humans what is the whole point of and the purpose of life to earn as much as you can to to become the landlord of all the property that you can acquire to your name only so that one day when the inevitable end comes you can go well i'm no longer longer the protector who wants part of this and you know it's not like they give you extra time if you haven't passed it on to someone the state will worry about that that's why when it's you know towards the end people get really worried they start fretting and then they they get the lawyers and and you know they start writing their wills and last wills and what not people get very worried about them who's going to take care of them after me it has to be someone i know it has to be someone who cares about me sometimes you do all that and in the last minute in the last moment of your life they walk up to you and go i hate you <laughs> oh that must have happened to at least one or two people right you thought that they were your best friend you thought they were loyal to you you thought they loved you every bit of you so they wrote down every single property to their name to them go here you can take everything that was mine you can it's all yours now right have a good life they go thank you yep sign the paperwork and in the last moment you're in your last breath they walk up to you and go you know what i've been meant to tell you this I just wanted all of that you gave me. I absolutely hate you. Oh, these things have happened. We've heard of that. People have told me, not the dead people, people who've heard. I'm saying, you know, is is this the the fate that we want for all of us? Is this the fate that you await for yourself? All I'm saying is let's take a step back open our eyes you know and get a good good grounding a good firm grounding and then ask ourselves what do we want out of our lives is it to acquire everything under the sun so that we can leave with nothing to our name in the end having not really 
achieved any amount of happiness because if earning and acquiring all the things that you wanted was what you did in your life, then you only shifted from grief to fear and then back to grief and then back to fear and then back to grief and fear. Tell me when, you had a, when you've had enough. Grief and then fear and then grief and then fear. <laughs> Is this what we want in life? Anyone who wants something can never be happy. Simple as that. Whether you have it or not makes no difference. Makes absolutely no difference. You're either someone who's grieving or you're a protector. You're a security guard. Because everything you want, someone else also wants. If it's not someone else, the elements will come and get, will take it. The winds will come and take it from you. The sun will come and take it from you. The waters will come and take it from you. The soil, will, the ground will swallow it. The great fires will burn it. Something or the other is going to happen. It's never yours to keep. So why do we allow others to fool us? But if somehow we can work towards achieving unconditional happiness, free of wanting, free of this notion that things that are only of subjective value are objectively valuable, if we can free ourselves somehow of this ignorance, the moment we are free of that ignorance, the moment the mind will let go. Remember what I said right at the start, it is not about letting go. Buddhism is not about letting go. Buddhism is about realizing. Once you realize the truth, the mind will simply let go. You don't have to do that forcefully. You just allow it to happen if it's the right thing to happen. Whether it's the right thing or not, can only happen through realization. This Dhamma, these talks are simply to broaden your horizons, to help you to see things insightfully, to open your eyes and see things through wisdom, to see the truth, to ask you some pertinent questions so that you can come up with your own answers and ask yourself, am I happy with that answer that I just got to that question? Things are not truly valuable. This value that we attribute to things are simply values that we have given them based on what I learned about it from other people. But they were never happy with them, truly. You know, just think about it, folks. One simple example. If a car, the latest, the greatest model, whatever it might be, right? The latest Rolls Royce. I'll give you that, okay? If a car is the most valuable thing, why would anyone in their sane mind sell it to you in exchange for the money that you have in your pocket? Because it's not like they're going to take that money and go and spend it and buy another car, really, of the same type. They give it to you because your money is more valuable to them than the car. So truly, what they're saying is, this car is not as valuable as your money. And you, tell, you, you think that they're a good car salesman? Really? Someone comes up to you and says, you know, this car, it's not as valuable as the money in your pocket. Do you want this? Why would you exchange your money for that when they themselves are telling you that your money 
or whatever you have in exchange, you have to give in exchange for is more valuable than what they have themselves. They don't believe in what they have to offer you. And you will so happily give up what you have for that. So what am I suggesting? That you shouldn't trade anymore? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm asking you to understand is any value is only subjective. Value is not intrinsic. It's not part of the object. It's not objective. If that is the case, then why do we spend our entire lives going after these things that are not of true value? Only in the end to regret that we didn't truly go after the things that were valuable. Such as? Such as what? Such as unconditional happiness. Living a life without fear. Having lived a life without grief. Having lived a life without sorrow. Having lived a life disappointment-free. Without any pain or anguish. No torments. Isn't this what we were born as humans for? If there is such a thing as a divine power, an all-knowing, all-great power, isn't that what he would want for you? I'm not saying whether there is or not. I'm just saying, if there were, wouldn't that be what he'd want for you? Put all that to a side. Isn't that what you want for yourself? When the very reason you go after the car is happiness in the first place, right? The reason you bought that wristwatch was for happiness. But what did you trade for your happiness? You traded your happiness for that wristwatch and then some. What was that then some? To become the protector of the wristwatch. Up until then, they kept it in the store, back in the stockroom, safely under lock and key, in, iron, in cages with iron bars. They were the protector. You had protected your money, they protected the wristwatch. You exchanged the thing that you were protecting with the thing that they were protecting. What's happened at the end of the day? Final equation, when you balance it, it simply says, you're still protecting. That's it. Nothing's changed. So up until now, you were fearful of losing one thing and now you're fear, fearful of losing something else. Are you less fearful? No. Is this what you want to have to, to, to say about your life one day, when all is said and done, I lived a life protecting things. My entire life was one of a security guard. Is this what we want to say for ourselves? Or would you rather want to say for yourself, I have lived a life that was so fulfilling. I lived free of fear. I lived free of fear. I lived free of grief. I lived free of disappointment and sorrow. Mental frustration, disappointment, vexation. My happiness could not, could, be could not be shaken. Isn't this what we want to say for ourselves? I'll leave that for you to decide. Value or subjective value is the cause of attachment. This is the root of attachment. Where attachment exists, wanting exists. When there's wanting, the mind is in vexation. When the mind is in vexation, the mind has to be relief, released of that vexation. It needs relief. And when that relief happens, the mind experiences pleasure, which is an absolute fake. It's a mockery of a sane mind. It's a mockery to insult. It's, 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 a, it's a mockery. It's an insult to 
an intellectual mind. To allow this to happen to us. No one else, no one does it to you. It's only you who does it to yourself. I want to leave you with that. Please do think about it. And ask yourselves, are you doing yourself justice? If you are, do carry on. If not, it's time to change then, isn't it? It's time to replan. It's time to rethink your life. It's time to take some action. I decided at one point, it was time. I'll leave you with that for today. Before we close, let's take a moment to transfer the merits that we have all acquired to all those who've helped us come all this way to understand these truths, to reflect, to realize, to, and to enlighten ourselves. So, let us take a moment to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who, since time immemorial, have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha, and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage, in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand, and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer these merits that we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha, present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all the chapters, who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all those monks resident at this monastery, as well as all the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them. And may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. And may through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer merits we have acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those of you who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May to the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped and supported us and assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer to the Devas and Brahma, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakka Deva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Samadha Sasana. Let us also transfer to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may through the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transmit to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been our families and friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara 
and those who have helped and supported us and assisted us in any way, shape or form they could. There is also transformation in members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations and may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe and rejoice in the mates we have acquired today. It has also transformation to all those who lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides and pandemics, including the recent and prevailing one, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them. And may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the warful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that may to the power and blessings of all the mates we have acquired throughout the day, you, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And may by the power of all the mates we have acquired today, you and I and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an arahatan vahanse, an arahat teranin vahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And on that note, we will conclude today's talk. Looking forward to continuing our discussion next week. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.